of it through the love of God. And I know of no better passage of Scripture than to be able to go to Luke 15, and we'll be there again this week. Last week, I admitted failure even before I started because I'd feel like every time I preach on the love of God, it's something of a uh, flat tire. Don Alex said last week, I said flat tire. And <laughs> so I didn't know I had the grammar police back there. <laughs> flat tire. I can't help it. I'm from tar land that we. Something of a flat tire. And uh, because we're preaching on an infinite subject and there's a finite person trying to be able to do that and it's an unexplainable un subject that cannot be communicated and still we try. And through Luke 15 last week, we, we said that the love of God was uh, a love that uh, is for tax collectors and sinners because Luke 15 starts with Jesus sitting around talking to tax collectors and sinners. There was something about the person of Jesus that attracted tax collectors and sinners. And this love of God is for the unlovely. Uh, all those uns that we just saw. This love of God is not only for good, righteous people who have no need to repent, which is all through the story of Luke 15. It's for tax collectors and sinners, and I challenged myself and I challenged all of you, how is it that we show the love of God to the tax collectors and sinners that are all around us? And that's different for me than it is for you, and, but it's not just a love of God for people that are in church this morning. It's the love of God for those unlovely people that we live next door to, that we work next to, that get on our nerves, that, that irritate us. That uh, Love of God welcomes tax collectors and sinners. We also said that the love of God is a seeking type of love. There was one lost sheep. He left the 99 that he had and went to seek. We said... No sense in anybody ever patting themselves on the back and thinks it's a great decision that you become a Christian. Uh, if you have been found, you will then find out you have been sought. God is a seeking God and is seeking today. There was one lost coin. Swept the whole house, Scripture says. So up the whole house to be able to find it. He's a seeking God, and he's out seeing who he can be able to, to get right to that point of decision. We'll not drag you across that line of decision, but we'll seek you out. A friend, whether you're Christian today or not, you have, are a sought person. There is someone seeking you whether that be to initially cross that threshold or faith or whether it's to draw you into closer and more intimate and more personal and more real relationship. Because of the grace of God, you are a sought person. And then we said the love of God is an individual love because there was one lost coin and one lost sheep and one lost son. Why it's true that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, while that's certainly true, it's not really applicable in our lives until we bring it out of the theological context that there was a man called Jesus, the God-man who died for the world. It will never be applicable into our life till we take it out of the world and bring it to our own personal individual heart. One lost coin, one lost sheep, 
one lost son. It's an individual, individual love that you must accept yourself. Mama was a Christian, great. Daddy was a Christian, great. Grandmama, granddaddy, great. We all have to come to grips with it ourselves. A couple other things in the Luke 15 that I want to share with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start the reading in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And that's right after we've had the parable of the lost sheep. Luke 15 is not all about the prodigal son. There are three stories, three parables. Now remember what a parable is. It's, it's critical to understand that, that this is not, and some people think this is heresy. It's critical to understand that these are parables. These are stories that Jesus made up to make a point. And when you think of them that way, it helps you think, now what point is Jesus trying to make? Jesus could have made up any story he wanted to make up. But he made up this story, and he made it up in such a way as to make a point. So he makes up a story about a lost sheep, he makes up a story about a lost coin, and then he makes up a story about a lost son. It in no way doubts the authenticity of Scripture. It's just that you, we need to know what a parable is. And to think, why did Jesus tell this story this way? What point is he trying to make? Luke chapter 15, verse 11. We get to the parable of the lost son, the third parable of Luke 15. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Right then and there. <laughs> right then and there, you would almost have to know it's a made-up story. <laughs> what dad's going to do that? I mean, what dad is going to do that? A 25-year-old boy or however old this was going to come and say, Dad, I want my share right now. And so dad liquidates, and that's what they would have had to have done then because there was no CDs, there was no mutual funds. It was all in land and in, in animals. So he would have had to liquidate. I mean, what, what dad would have done that? So, so you have to be sure when you teach this that you're not pulling wrong principles out of here like, this is what good fathers ought to do. <laughs> good fathers shouldn't just divide up the inheritance because uh, one kid gets spoiled and wants it. So this, this wasn't, a story wasn't meant to be told to be able to teach us how to be good parents, even though there may be some application there. That wasn't the point of why Jesus told this. Give him my share to the estate, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that his pigs were eating. But none, no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy 
to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. And by the way, I, as I was reading some, what some other people have done with this passage, I read something I'd never thought of before. Bring the best robe. Who would have owned the best robe in the house? The father. The father. He says, bring my robe. Bring my robe. And <coughs> All the times I've preached and read on Luke 15, that never ever one occurred to me. Who would have owned the best robe in the house? In a very patriarchal society, the dad would have. The father would have. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And we said that ring symbolizes being part of the family again. Something of almost like a credit card with the stamp of the family name that you charge things. This is an IOU. I put my, for us, it would be a big A or whatever. This is how we sign things. Signet ring. Bring the ring. Put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You cannot read this chapter and miss the fact that there is great rejoicing over repentance three times in this whole chapter repentance is mentioned in in the parable of the lost sheep jesus says i tell you in the same way there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't have a need to repent so they they they, they made merry they had they had a celebration same thing when the sheep when the sheep was found same thing when the coin was found same exact words in the same way i tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents repeated for us and then in the story of the prodigal son even though the word is not there there's still a celebration and a party given over repentance and you say well mark where's the repentance in the lost son parable well that's right there in verse 17 right after 16 he says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything verse 17 when he came to his senses when he came to his senses and what is repentance we've said it before it's a changing of the mind to changing the way that you think about something. It's what the word literally, literally means. Metanoia literally means I'm changing my mind. See, repentance is not some big emotional buckets of tears that are prayed at the altar, and that may be good or it may be just emotion. Repentance is literally a changing of the mind. It's a changing of the way I think about something. It's coming to our senses. It's coming to our senses. 
And the young prodigal went off and squandered all of his money. And the scripture says he came to his senses. Friends, repentance equals rejoicing in heaven. Whether it's a lost sheep, whether it's a lost coin, or whether it's a son, repentance equals a party in heaven. And when the son came to his senses, he went home, and dad said, just kill the fatted calf. Let's put my robe on him. Let's give him the ring that signifies that he's back in the family again. And man, let's just go for it. Repentance in the kingdom understanding equals rejoicing in heaven. The changing of the mind. I'm no longer thinking that way again. And repentance is not just something that happens when you sit in a service one day or something that happens when you're walking down the street and somehow God sit, knocks you over the head with his repentance club and all of a sudden you repent. No, there's circumstances in life that bring us to repentance. And all of you could testify to that if you truly experience repentance. And after all, the Bible says repent and believe. That's the gospel. Repent and believe. You change the way you think and believe the gospel. That's, that's the little two-step method. If you need a two-step method, how do you become a Christian? You repent and you believe. I no longer want to live that way again. I no longer want to think about uh, God in the way I've thought about before. I no longer want to be able to think about life that way. I no longer want to be able to live that kind of life. I'm changing the way I think, and I'm believing. And friends, as a pastor today, can I tell you, it's not about like, just accepting Jesus. It's about repenting and believing. It's not just about accepting Jesus into your life. It's about repenting. It's about having a change of mind. And I wonder why so many people seem to, to, have, to, to somehow meet God at the altar at a Sunday morning service, and they seem to be emotional and all that kind of stuff, but you don't see any change in their life on Monday morning. And I wonder, I can't judge them, but I wonder, have they repented? Have they truly changed their mind? Or did a song or a sermon or something prompt merely emotion? The Bible says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. One way to come near to God is to change your mind about something that was keeping you either from him in a salvation type of way or keeping you from experiencing the type of life that he wants you to be able to experience. It's a, it's, it's a, it, it comes from circumstances in our life. For me, man, I'd reached the bottom in my life. I'd made such a mess out of my life. And my, my legs were literally chopped out from under me from consequences of my own sinful behavior. I, God just allowed me allowed me to be able to, 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 to see what a mess I made in my life, and I finally, on August 29th, 1993, changed my mind. I repented. And repentance gets a bad rap because we, we think about these guys in big robes and long beards walking around in California and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But repentance is something that's not only part of entering into the kingdom of God, it's part of, 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 of our daily life as Christians. As, as God brings things to our mind, we repent, we change our mind about that, and we, and we go on. Did you see the circumstances 
that brought this young man to repentance. <laughs> he squandered all of his money. There came a famine in the land. And he literally denied his Jewish heritage by gold feeding pigs. Circumstances brought him to the point where he came to his senses. It can be a marvelous act of the love of God that God allows circumstances to bring us to our senses. It can be a marvelous exhibition of the love of the Father that he doesn't protect us from everything because he knows many times that those circumstances that we get our own self in because of our own poor choices may just bring us to repentance, may just bring us to our senses. I don't have a theological term for this. This is the allowing, this is, this is just Mark Atherton, this is the allowing grace of God, the allowing love of God. That'll let us have our own way. Because just maybe that's the only way we'll come to our senses. We'll let difficult things come to us. Because maybe through those difficulties we'll come to our senses. And, and the unbelieving world makes fun of us because of this. Because they will say, well, you know, Christians just become Christians because they've had to go through some big difficulty in their life and they needed a crutch and they couldn't make it on their own. Yeah. Can God love us so much that he allows, that he allows us to go off into a far country, that he allows difficult stuff to come into our life, that he allows all kinds of stuff that we would have never have chosen to come into our life because he knows that it's through those circumstances that just maybe will come to our senses. I said earlier, this is not a treatise on how to be a good parent. But I do think there's some application here. I remember many, many, many years ago in a Sunday school class, before I was ever a pastor, we were talking about something. I have no clue what it was. But one gentleman said it, and I remember just like it was yesterday. He says, why do we protect our kids from the very things that made us the people we are today. And many of the things that made us the people we are today are the difficulties we've gone through. But why do we protect? I tell you why. Because we don't want them to go through those same things we had to. We know that. But it was through those things, good and bad, that make up who we are today. And if, if you're like me, we probably learn more from the difficult things than we did from the good things. The allowing grace of God, who, who, who could in his sovereignty said, no, you can't go there, then maybe I would have wondered, well, wonder what it had always been like out there in a far country. I always wonder what it had been like out there in a distant country. I wonder what that wild living would have always been like but if I have that desire in my heart, does the love of God allow that all the time knowing maybe 
there will be a day he comes to his senses. And if he comes to his senses and repents, he's back for good. The Bible says, though the, though <clears throat> the Bible says, who has sinned much loves much because they know what they've been forgiven of. Repentance equals rejoicing in heaven. It's, I'm not making it up now. It's right in the scripture. There is more joy over one sinner who repents than 99 people who do not need to repent. That is, is, is verbatim is there twice, and it's all over the third parable. Is there something you need to come to your senses about? And see, the, the problem we have in the church is we think repentance is just, well, I've got to repent and get saved. Martin Luther, when he reformed the, the church from Catholic control, talked about living a life of repentance. As you walk with God, it's just a life of him bringing things to your mind and you changing your mind about that. It's just a life of, 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 of you seeing more and more of him and learning more and more of how we should live, and it's just a continual repentance. It's not, it's not always, boy, he must have done something on Saturday night. wonder where she was who she was with so whether you need to repent to enter the kingdom of heaven repent and believe repent and believe or whether it's just walking the Christian road and God has brought you to your senses about something your repentance equals rejoicing in heaven. Now let me tell you one thing repentance is not. The Bible distinguishes between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is the fact that I'm repenting because I'm sorry for what difficulty that I've gotten in here. I'm sorry for what a, the consequences that I'm experiencing. I'm sorry for the pain this is causing me. That's worldly sorrow. I think we have 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Do we have it up there, Karen? 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks a little bit about this. Godly sorrow, godly sorrow brings repentance that leaves to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow, is repentance part of salvation? Read the Bible. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow leads to death. Uh, you know, I can't remember his name, Sue. We dealt a lot with a guy in Illinois and he was in our church and his wife had left him and I still think that he was seeking Jesus just to get his wife back and he flew the coop 
and he's not walking with Jesus today. Worldly sorrow. Yeah, I know I made a mess of my life and I've lost my wife. Well, maybe I, I just made, I'm so sorry for the mess I've made in my life. I'm so sorry for how it's hurting me. I'm so sorry. I can't believe all this. Worldly sorrow instead of a godly sorrow that the Bible talks about. I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I've sinned against heaven and against you. This sin is not only, only against the Father, it's against God. Godly sorrow broken the father's heart i've broken the father's heart this is not who i am instead of look what i did is causing me pain worldly sorrow godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret i was for sue and i are married i remember one day i was leaving her apartment and i said sue why don't I feel really bad for all those horrible things I did in my pre-Christian life? And she goes, that's because you know you've been forgiven. And that knowledge of forgiveness came from repentance. It just wasn't, well, I'm going to accept Jesus and, and live my life any old way I want to. No, man, I had a change of mind, man. One of the reasons I didn't come to Jesus for 34 years because I knew what this change this was had to be in my life. And I wasn't really ready for that. And I liked my sin and I was going to hold on to it, thank you very much. Because I knew that I couldn't have my cake and eat it too. What do you need to change your mind about? To either step across the threshold into a life with God, salvation, or to step in more closer, intimate, personal relationship with Him. Repentance equals rejoicing in heaven. Some of you have been a Christian for a while. You, you know you are. But for whatever reason, you, you've never come and made a public profession of that and entered into the baptismal waters. I don't know why. Maybe you don't like the idea of getting stuck underwater and coming up and snorting and snotting and all that kind of stuff. That's a humbling thing, but that's okay. It's okay. If you have this deathly fear of water, and you don't want to go under like an eight-year-old boy wants to be baptized, but he just doesn't want to go under, you know, we're just going to pour him. Because it's in the heart. It's not in the act of how you do it. It's in the heart, the recipient. But I so much like the symbolism of dying to my old life and coming up in newness of life. I don't, I don't know what has kept some of you from being baptized. Maybe you need to come to your senses on that. 
I don't know where the rest of you are. And it's, I don't need to know. But as we close this morning, uh, I want you to remember that your repentance, my repentance, brings rejoicing. Brings rejoicing in heaven. Let's pray about that. Father God, it's um, it's not just about um, it's not just about tears at an altar, emotion-filled moment. It's not just about people coming around laying hands. As good as all that may be, it's about a decision of our will to change our mind. Because we know that it's only by the renewing of our mind that our life are transformed. So, Father, just in this moment of silence, um, there may be some people here that for whatever reason need to come to their senses about something. And, Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would, would just move right now and bring to my heart and anyone else's what that may be in our life. So with your heads bowed, would you, just, um, would you just ask God? Maybe there's nothing in your mind right now. Would your heart be open and humble enough to be able to say, God, is there anything I need to come to my senses about? Would you talk to me about that now? Maybe you know of something. Would you talk to the Father about that now, please? Father, help us to know that godly sorrow brings repentance which leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow leads to death. Father, in the changing of our minds and the coming to our senses about whatever, may there be a sense that we have somehow not only maybe sinned against another person, but we've sinned against you your love and your grace help us father to be a church that repents help us to be individual people that repent that live a life of repentance a constant changing of our mind about something so we can get closer walk more like you, hear your voice more closely, live in more intimate relationship as your children. Father, take these words now and use them 
furthering of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.